Hey listeners, welcome to 10x Growth Podcast. This is your host, Preeti Padmanabhan, technology executive, investor and board member. In this episode, we will review the book, Trillion Dollar Coach by authors, Eric Schmidt, Jonathan Rosenberg and Alan Eagle. The book is on Bill Campbell, a football coach turned high-tech exec. A few of his notable roles are Apple VP of Sales and Marketing and CEO of Intuit for several years. He was the coach of several Silicon Valley elites, including Steve Jobs, Larry Page, Eric Schmidt, and others. We are excited to have a leading Silicon Valley C-level executive, Swati Bhatia, who will share her views of the book. Swati, welcome to 10X Growth Podcast. Thank you, Preeti. Thanks for having me. So let us start with your background. Tell us about your career journey. Thanks, Preeti. Um, I consider myself very fortunate to have been able to build the career and life that I've been able to. I grew up in India, in Delhi, in a loving family. My college education was at Bitspilani, one of the best engineering schools in India. Of course, we met there. Uh, although the degree that I have from there is a master's in finance. For the first two years, I had all the courses from engineering curriculum and then two years of finance and business specialization. That created a very strong foundation in critical thinking and problem solving for me. My education held me in good stead as I built a career in financial services in analytical roles. I came to the US at the turn of the century, worked for eight, nine years each at Capital One and at PayPal. From there, I was hired to be the chief payments risk officer at Stripe. And I am now about to embark on a new adventure, joining Goldman Sachs to help lead their charge in the consumer financial services space. That is so exciting. And I'm so glad I met you at Bits Pilani. It is indeed an amazing place to do your master's. And, uh, and certainly, I'm glad you moved to the Bay Area and you live so close to me. So t- let's talk about the book, uh, The Trillion Dollar Coach. Why did you choose to read the book? You know, I didn't have to go out of my way to read this book. It was as if the book found me. So over a period of a couple of months in 2019, two friends asked my husband, who is also an executive coach and a team coach, if he had read the book. So my husband got the book. And the book was in a tall pile of books on his bedside table. He wasn't reading it. So I grabbed it and I started reading it. And the book really grabbed me. I'm uh, sure we'll get into why that is so later in our chat. But I found it so powerful and useful that I bought copies for my entire extended team of managers. That is super cool. Not only did you pick it up, but you also helped the team get value from the book. And by the way, did your husband read the book at all? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he did read the book because I spoke so highly of it. I, I, I think it's a great toolkit. The way authors have written the book, it's uh, very, very practical and useful. Absolutely. And Bill seems to be a hidden gem who influenced the success of several Silicon Valley executives and companies. What do you think was the secret sauce? You know, I don't think of secret sauce as in a recipe that someone can follow and they can recreate the same result. For impactful people, what I find that much more remarkable than what they do is who they are and how they conduct themselves. And that is really the basis of the impact they achieve in the world. 
to me the greatest thing about bill was that his approach was based on love and that's not a common sentiment used in business but he loved people in general and definitely the people that he was coaching he had no agenda you know as it is coaching can be one of the purest relationships one can have in the sense that your coach has no other agenda than to serve you and help you achieve your goals no relationship whether with your spouse parents family friends colleagues boss no matter how good a relationship it is can come close to that purity in terms of the other person not needing anything from you and uh, you know i i didn't know but bill did not even charge people for his service so even that was not on his agenda he just wanted and needed the relationship to be successful and in the fact that this was based in love it was an act of service he was genuinely and authentically just interested in success of the people that he was coaching and if loving people and holding them in unconditional positive regard is not in your nature that is a very hard thing to do but that's what he did day in and day out the other thing that i was struck by was his consistency you know how consistently everyone experienced him there are so many impactful names in the book like people who bill coached and no matter who he was coaching people's stories about him and their experience of him are remarkably similar and i think that is what has allowed the authors to eventually code code codify his approach into a method into a set of insights and actions that one can attempt to replicate even though it's not a secret recipe for a sauce because of his consistency one can learn from it and make it their own and up level their own impact on the world fantastic love and consistency you know swati it, it's interesting the last 20 years or so is when we are talking about these aspects of love in management and couple of other podcasts that i recorded and published before one is about the servant leadership which talks about love and uh, there's also an episode on the pocket full of love which is about how do you bring love into every aspect of your life and the workplace doesn't need to be devoid of love because that is what you know keeps us wanting to go back there and wanting to be part of that company so you bring up such an amazing piece there on love and also loved your thought on consistency and uh, how that is so important how you show up as a leader and i really appreciate you sharing those insights i really enjoyed those episodes it's a theme that is emerging again and again and in this book in several different forms in you know community at work care at work love at work these things really resonated with me now let's look at chapter 2 the chapter 2 is named your title makes you a manager and your people make you a leader tell us some of the key insights you got from this chapter it's an amazing statement right uh, in the world we are in priti when someone does well as an individual contributor a quote unquote reward for them is that they get promoted to be a manager people learn their craft or subject matter in school and college and they're constantly learning the technical skills in their chosen profession no one would be hired as say marketing research manager if they can't demonstrate their expertise in marketing research but just because they're excellent at marketing research does it mean that they'll be naturally excellent at managing other marketing research professionals the answer is no managing and leading is a craft that is not taught 
that we haven't figured out how to really measure the impact of doing well or not well, and that very few companies pay adequate attention to. The biggest thing that I think anyone can learn from this part of the book is that leading and managing others is a privilege. It is not a reward. It is something that we have to earn over and over. It takes hard work and preparation. It takes time. You cannot phone it in. Too many managers think that managing people is only a small part of their responsibility and that the main thing they're responsible for is delivering the results that they are accountable for. And I think the book clearly states how to think differently about managing. You know, Bill knew that as a manager and a leader, your main job is to unleash your people, to set them up for success, to ensure clarity in terms of what needs to be done, and then to back your people up to the hilt and get the hell out of their way and help them when needed. And that is how you scale impact. So in this chapter, the author did a great job of illustrating not just the beliefs and principles that underlie this approach, but also practical toolkit in terms of how to build rapport, how to conduct effective one-on-ones, how to give feedback, how to understand people's motivation, how to manage conflict. You know, doing all these things well all the time is the difference between good and great. We all do some of this, some of the time, but doing all these things well all the time is the goal. I love the statement, unleash the people, back them up and get out of the way. I think that is a mantra for getting the best out of anybody. And I find that that's what we want for ourselves. And if we can do that for our team as a leader, we'll certainly be super successful. That is great, uh, Swati. Thanks for capturing all that essence in that uh, short uh, you know, snippet there. But there is an interesting twist and a word that caught my attention uh, you know, as he was talking about managing and leading. He talked about the ability to manage who we call an aberrant genius. What does that mean and how do you deal with such team members? You know, in true Bill style, he raises an important topic that doesn't get much coverage in general. Your audience may not know what Bill means by aberrant genius. So let me read a few of the descriptors from the book. Aberrant genius is the diva, the person who is a star performer, but is a pain to work with. Uh, you know, in other places, he says these quirky guys or women who are great differentiators, they can be enormously valuable and productive. They have quick insights. They're simply better in many, many ways. And they can have both the ego and the fragility to match their outsized talent. They often put a lot of energy into personal gains at the expense of peer relationships. So that's an aberrant genius. You know, things in life generally tend to have bright side and a dark side. Nothing is universally good or universally bad. Managers and leaders need to thread the needle in terms of working with such people. You need them, and they are the ones who are more likely to make outsized impact. But they're also high maintenance and will demand more of your attention and more creativity from you as a manager. So, of course, you have to identify such people on your team. You have to consciously decide if they are worth it and then treat them in the way that will get the most out of them while minimizing the cost. And it will be something you will need to constantly be on top of as a manager. So if ever the cost of having such a person on the team outweighs the benefit, you would need to cut them loose and have the courage to do that. 
So like most wicked problems in life, it is a double-edged sword and the approach has to be uh, very situation-centric. I love Bill's simple advice that recognize the phenomena and be proactive about it. The broader generalization is to not necessarily treat everyone on your team the same way. Figure out what will get the best out of someone and treat them accordingly, as long as the trade-off is worth it. Do not regress to the mean in terms of your management approach. Bill also had this principle that he would not work with anyone who wasn't coachable. And in general, that can be a good principle even to work with aberrant geniuses, right? What I found is that even geniuses are human. They want to belong. It's just that they may not be adept at relating with others. So one can totally work with that. Um, but if someone is a psychopathic jerk and doesn't care about others one bit, then in a team-based environment, there is no place for such people. And that's a manager's job to figure out who you want on your team and how do you manage the costs of it? I think nowadays it's become more and more evident that uh, people who are in this category of aberrant geniuses need to get the right coaching and right training so they'll be team players and people can work with them. <laughs> so uh, the other part that struck with me was about decision making and how to make effective decisions and Bill says that failure to make a decision is worse than not making a decision. And he also talked about certain strategies to drive decision making. Can you elaborate on some strategies that resonated with you? Sure. You know, I do think that as a leader, you earn your keep in large measure by how you make decisions and communicate around them. If you're making all the decisions, that is a problem. And if you're shying away from making decisions, that is a problem too. If you're giving too much credence to what others think or want, that can be paralyzing because people will want different things. And if you're not paying enough attention to the consideration of others and riding roughshod over them, they will be demoralized and will eventually leave. So Bill used to hate the idea of decision-making by consensus. He used to say it is not a democracy. Bill instead used the term ensemble for decision-making, and I love that. I've also heard of the same idea being referred to as advice process. The idea is that the leader of the team hears everyone around the table, not in terms of what decision should be made, but to hear all perspectives on the pros and cons of different options and what considerations are important. That way the people around the table are not pushing for a certain decision or, or their agenda, but are ensuring that all considerations are surfaced. And having heard all that, the leader then makes the decision. And I believe that is a sensible approach. The other thing that I really liked and have in fact used in the past is the rule of two. When two people have different views on a topic that is close to their areas, Bill suggested sending them away to gather more information and attempt to design the best solution. And usually in a couple of weeks, they come back with a solution that is acceptable to both and to their teams because that will be the best solution. It leads to high quality outcomes, improves collegiality and empowerment. And you know, if they're unable to come to an agreement then the leader can break the tie, that's their job. 
and hearing their perspective both people have to accept the consequences as they were unable to design a mutually acceptable and optimal solution you know pretty these are just two examples of many that bill shares in terms of how leaders can think around decision making those were great summaries swati one is about the ensemble piece and then the second is the rule of two uh, those two are great strategies and i remember the piece where bill says that if two people are passionate and they have opposing viewpoints he brings them together to discuss it and and then go to the leader that it certainly is a great path forward for decision making the next part i'd like to discuss is about building trust chapter 3 is on building an envelope of trust so how do leaders build that trust what are some ways you have built trust in your organization trust speeds up the organization and makes it more efficient the absence of trust creates friction and leakages and will always be a drag on the organization leading to suboptimal results so bill was rightly big on trust one of the biggest ideas about trust was to make it about something larger than the individual when individual considerations abound trust fails not people they used to teach us a trust equation in a leadership development program so trust is equal to competence times reliability times professional intimacy divided by self orientation and i have over time added sincerity and care to the numerator and care as in care about the same things shared purpose bill too talked about all these different components of trust competence and reliability are basic right reliability means that you say what you do and you do what you say members of the team are competent at making and keeping commitments you have the skills to do the job otherwise there will be no trust even if there is tons of professional intimacy and mutual affection there has to be some degree of professional intimacy some affection for each other caring about the same things having a shared purpose that is what activates the emotional component of trust you know even a robot can be competent and reliable and have no self orientation but a robotic human will not enjoy the highest levels of trust from other human beings and of course the higher the level of self orientation in a team lower will be the trust it will become a case of each person for themselves which will be destructive for trust and that is why bill believe that a purpose that is larger than any individual is a key component of trust you know i love how you made it all into a nice formula that we can remember and it certainly brings in the engineering type of aspect into <laughs> leadership <laughs> so that is super cool i really love it and and certainly we went to bits pirani so i can understand how we can put all of that into a simple way of learning let's look at chapter 4 the authors talk about team first and how having the right team is the most important thing for solving a problem why is that you know, we live in a very complex world it's also volatile uncertain and ambiguous us army came up with vuca volatile uncertain ambiguous as an acronym to capture these four characteristics of the situation on a battlefield but they also describe the operating environment of a company 
no matter how smart someone is the problems that they are typically confronted with are multifaceted and cross functional as such the best and the most sustainable ways to deal with any challenge is always to put many heads together and collaboratively work to identify the solution and then implement it effectively bill's advice is to work the team then the problem many years ago jim collins wrote in good to great get the right people on the bus and wrong people off the bus and elon musk's oft quoted some of all vectors comment also talks about the same so the problems that a business is confronted with keep changing so unless the team is effective at rowing together they won't make progress as fast as they would otherwise a bunch of brilliant individuals who are no good together as a team are going to be pretty useless and bill spells out the kind of people you want on your team these are people who are smart they have heart they work hard they have total integrity they have grit and resilience and bounce back from challenges and learn fast if they're committed to something larger than themselves like we spoke about in the last paragraph and come together as a team such people can work miracles and lastly priti to bill it was very important to win right this is a phrase you know that's used in the book and i couldn't agree more i am not interested in just winning i am not interested in winning if you compromise on your values to do that i strongly believe that bill's vision of winning right is the only choice for a leader and a team that is worth its salt the rowing analogy you gave resonated with me a lot uh, and it's about like you know if you have multiple people rowing in different direction then you're not going the same way so so this has been an amazing conversation swati uh, and i'd love to hear any additional inputs you have from the book or from your leadership kitty of lessons that you can share with our listeners here priti um i admire bill for being ahead of his time in his thinking about diversity it is something i am very passionate about but it is easy for me i am a woman of color for someone like bill to be an advocate of that added to my already enormous respect for him due to his powerful thinking and beautiful values another thing that i was struck by was what bill said about importance of peer relationships this is something which you know the penny dropped for me uh while reading this book it is easy to like people on your team and vice versa for them to like you you're aligned in terms of your goals and it makes sense for a manager to be an advocate of their teammates however peers have different objectives from yours by virtue of having a different role and orthogonal goals yet there are many dependencies and interconnection so someone who can create powerful relationships with their peers and establish a relationship of mutual respect trust and supportiveness will be able to get a lot more accomplished and have a good time doing it you know bill even went a step further and highlighted the power of community at work we started here about love right he said a place is much stronger when people are connected his advice to his coaches was to always build communities and i find that very uplifting priti the one thing we spend a lot of time in life is at work and if we aren't comfortable there if we don't feel like we belong if it only feels like a transaction involving an exchange of our talent and efforts in lieu of cash then it would feel hollow and less human than it should be so i want to close out with a few words from the book so this is page 
to be successful companies need to have teams that work together as communities where individuals integrate their interests and put aside differences to be individually and collectively obsessed with what's good and right for the company since this doesn't naturally happen among groups of people especially high performing ambitious people you need someone playing the role of a coach a team coach to make it happen and that to me summed up the book you know lucky are teams that have a great team coach like bill campbell or have managers who start acting like coaches that's a great way to finish swati i really enjoyed this conversation and it was very enlightening and so thank you so much for taking time to be on tenx growth podcast no thank you for doing these they are all uh, really interesting episodes and i have learned so much and have picked up most of the books to read so thank you for doing this swati fantastic listeners do check out the book trillion dollar coach and thank you for tuning in today